he replied, beginning to clean the lenses of his glasses slowly and carefully, before turning to look at the driver who read the signal at once. Time to get out, he said to the man beside him, underlying his order with a significant nod of his head towards the snow-covered landscape. The passenger hesitated, as if he was about to try to buy time by arguing his cause. But it soon became obvious that this was far from his intention, for he used the delay simply to smile and nod at both men. Finally, after catching the eye of the man to his right, at whom he stared without apparent emotion, he pushed the passenger door beside him open and got out to stand smartly to attention by the snow-covered automobile. Heil Hitler! he said, all traces of his smile now gone. The thick-set man, who was sitting quite still in the back seat, stared up at the elegant figure standing to defiant attention in the blizzard. He put one heavy hand bearing a small crested signet ring on the driver's arm as he was just about to disembark. Tell them not to make a meal of it. The driver did not respond simply getting quickly out of the car, slamming his door shut and disappearing into the snowstorm. His superior remained sitting in the back of the car, taking the last of the player's cigarettes from the battered pack and lighting it with a small gold lighter. He sat back, inhaling deeply, staring ahead at a windscreen now completely covered with snow. In the bleak, dark and bitter winter evening outside, the tall, elegant man turned up the collar of his still immaculate cavalry coat. This is what I would call a blizzard, he remarked. Typical moor storm. Used to toboggan down here as a boy. Rather than toboggan, why don't you take a hike, chum? A voice to match the wintry conditions wandered from behind him. To make it fair, I'll give you thirty seconds start. Not the most appealing of ideas, he replied. Too easy to get lost up here. Go on, he was urged. Be a sport. The man turned to try to identify the voice behind him, but thanks to the severity of the storm, he could see even less than before. Even better, the voice suggested. Why not go for a little run? He won't run the man still sitting in the back of the snow-covered car thought to himself. He's not the type. He took another pull on his cigarette, clearing the condensation off the inside of the window beside him with the back of one gloved hand, as if to try to get a sight of the events taking place somewhere in the darkness outside. A flurry of snow falling against the glass immediately deprived him of any view, so, giving a deep shiver against the cold, he pulled the collar of his overcoat up round his neck and slumped further down in his seat in an effort to keep warm. Even if there was a chance it would save his life, he still wouldn't run, he concluded. He wouldn't even run to save his skin. At the command, run. And make it easier for you, the man wondered in return, staring up into the invisible skies above him as if at a starlit summer sky. No. No, I don't think I'll bother, if it's all the same to you. At the back of his mind, he toyed with the thought that if he just stood his ground, somehow he might be able to bluff his way out of it. 
until he heard the telltale sound of a safety catch being released, at which he changed his mind. Clearing his throat, he sunk his hands in his coat pockets and began to stroll off across the snow-swept moors, for all the world like a gentleman taking an after-lunch constitutional. They let him go a surprising distance, so far, in fact, that his heart gave a small leap as he realised that, given the distance he had covered in such appalling conditions, his executioner might actually have lost sight of him. His attitude changed now that he thought he had a chance to outwit his enemies, people whom, in comparison to himself and those he admired, he considered to be stupid, slow and without imagination. The thought brought a sudden smile to his frozen features, and as he smiled, he found himself running, faster and faster, away from the gunman, who must surely now be marooned in an impenetrable wall of snow. As he ran, he threw back his head and laughed, just as the man many yards away behind him fired several shots in quick succession. The body fell forward into a drift of snow, the blood from it staining the white that surrounded it with surprising rapidity. The marksman went up to it, turned it over and stared down. The cap had fallen from the head, revealing thick, blonde hair and such a startlingly handsome face beneath it that it seemed in death to have returned to a state of peace that was almost enviable, as if, in the ultimate mercy of its end, a life had been finally unravelled and returned to a childlike innocence. Fool, the man in the back of the car remarked to himself, hearing the shots and then noting the flare the marksman put up. You poor misguided stupid fool. What in heaven's name possessed you? Taking a last pull on his cigarette, he opened the car door, and with a sigh and a slow sorry shake of his head, walked off into the blizzard to help bring back the traitor's remains. Part One England, 1941 Chapter One Major Folkestone frowned and shuffled the papers at which he was pretending to stare so hard. On the other side of his desk, Cissy Lavington stood with her trademark long cigarette holder stuck jauntily out of the side of her mouth, while she regarded him with her one good eye, the other hidden as always behind her other trademark, a handmade black silk eye patch. Even though the matter before them was of a serious nature, as always, Sissy's expression was one of benign indifference, as if she had only a passing interest in what the world might throw at her. You'd rather I told her, Sissy volunteered, finally growing impatient at the way Anthony Folkestone was hiding behind his paperwork. I don't see why you would think that, Anthony Folkestone muttered, pretending to find the latest sheet of paper in his hand of particular interest. But uh, it does have to be done. I expect you feel, Major. I expect you feel that, well, Sissy replied, tapping the end of her cigarette into the tin ashtray on the desk, that this sort of stuff comes a lot better from a woman. Sissy took one last drawer on her cigarette, removed the stub, and inserted a fresh smoke deftly in her holder, while never taking her eye off the man on the other side of the desk. As she had noted over the past few weeks, spent training agents in H-section of what was discreetly described in top-secret documents as the War Office, 
Jobs involving the breaking of bad news always seem to come a lot better from a woman. The point is, I'd do it myself if I had the time. But just at the moment, all this paperwork. Folkestone shook his head sadly. At the same time, collecting the loose pages up and tapping them into a tidy pile. I understand, Lady Tetherington's in lodgings in Bentham. He added, handing Sissy a sheet of paper bearing the address. Taking some leave. Rather well earned, considering. The top brass are very pleased with what we did. Apparently, it cheered the old man up no end. Not that we expected to be the only attempt on his life by any means, but there you are. One down—that's something at least. Quite apart from anything else, it would have been invaluable propaganda. Although I understand the old man has a few doubles waiting in the wings for that moment, if it ever comes. Major Folkestone nodded. H section had done brilliantly to thwart the assassination attempt on Churchill, but for the moment they had other matters on their minds. You could always ask the WVS. He offered, his thoughts returning to Lady Tetherington. Sissy shook her head, standing by his office door, already impatient to leave. I think not," she replied in a firm voice. "A factory was hit near Benton last night. We can't take anyone away from much-needed work." She opened the door. "I'd rather do it myself, Major, since I helped train Lady Tetherington. Only right, really." "Very well," Folkestone agreed. "So be it. And perhaps you'd be so good as to ask Miss Budge to come back in on your way out. My wretched intercom is on the blink yet again. Thank you." Sissy did as asked. After a thankfully brief exchange of observations about the weather with Major Folkestone's new assistant, the plump and smiling Miss Budge, who was only too happy to bustle into Major Folkestone's office, notebook at the ready.